Welcome to the audio ministry of Love Foundation Christian Center, a place to find God's love. Pastors Osage and Bridget Airboard teach the word with simplicity and truth. From wherever you're listening, we hope that today's message inspires and encourages you. Enjoy the message. First Fruit Sunday. I know some people say things like, first fruit, that's an Old Testament thing. No. Uh, we read a number of scriptures this morning, Pastor B. did. that was showing a lot of scriptures in the New Testament that mentions the first fruit. And the Bible tells us that everything in the Old Testament was only a type and a shadow of the new. So um, if you don't understand it in the Old Testament, don't throw it away. Study it some more. Amen. Amen. Ask the Holy Ghost to teach you, and you will discover that it, it relates to many things in the new covenant. And so this morning, we're going to be sharing some things about the first fruit. I'm actually talking about putting God first, putting God first, putting God first. We're going to be studying about a little bit about the first fruit, but really about putting God first. And we're going to be taking our first fruit offering. Somebody say, Hallelujah. Are you excited about giving God first? Yes. Are you excited about giving God a big chunk offering? Yes. I say, are you excited? Yes. You know, when I say are you excited, it's not only your words that should tell me. I say, are you excited about bringing God an offering? Yes. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Let's bow our heads to pray. Father, we thank you for the word, your word, your word that brings life, your spirit that brings revelation. As we study this morning, we just received the spirit of wisdom. Revelation in the knowledge of you. The eyes of our understanding is enlightened. To know the hope of your calling. The riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints. And the exceeding greatness of your power that now walketh in us. Father Lord, we are not hearers only, but doers of your word as well. So we ask that this morning and as we study, we will listen with ears to hear hearts that believe quick to obey, quick to act upon the word in Jesus' name. And everybody say, Amen. Amen. If you don't have a Bible, wave your hand. Ushers, we give you one. We encourage everyone to have a Bible for service. It's good to look at the scriptures yourself. And and um, everyone, including the ushers and the media, uh, get your Bibles, get focused. Let's study the word of God. Hallelujah. All right, Matthew chapter number 6, some of the scriptures, or many of the scriptures I'm going to use, Pastor B read them, which is good, makes it easier for me. Praise God. And um, I have a little time, but I'm going to try to um, emphasize on putting God first. If you study the scriptures properly, you discover that there are things that you thought you knew that you did not know. And there are many, many, many things that God has put in the scriptures that people have not actually been able to recognize. And because of that, they have not uh, functioned in the way that they should. So it's important that we pay serious attention to the word of God. So Matthew chapter number 6, we're going to start reading from verse 24. Verse 24. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You excited today? All right, here, let's go. Verse 24, the Bible says, No man can serve two masters. Talk to somebody, say, no man. No man. Say, that includes women. 
can serve two masters. So ask the person, are you attempting to serve two masters? So answer, answer. What's the answer to that? No, no. Because the Bible says you can. So even if you try, you're not going to succeed, right? The Bible says no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. So if the person is trying to serve two masters, he hates one. (laughs) He loves the other. Praise God. He said he will hate one and love the other. Now, hate is not always meaning that he just wants to kill that one. It means in comparison to the other, one is always preferred. Hallelujah. He said he will hate one and love the other. Or else he will hold on to one. And he's telling us again how you know the one he loves. He will hold on to one and despise the other. So you, you cannot serve God and mammon. Continue. Therefore, when he says therefore, what does that mean? For this reason. Because you can serve two masters. Because you're going to love one and hate the other. Because you're going to hold on to one and despise the other. Because this law is a law. There's no way you can try to serve two masters. I'm saying this to you. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Now, we have been saying that one of the things we are going to change this year is what? The way we think. So here, Jesus is teaching them the way to think. Praise God. And the way not to think. He said, therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. What ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. It's not the life more than meat. When the Bible says meat, it's not just talking about beef or chicken or lamb chops. It's talking about food. Anything that you eat, that's what the Bible is referring here to as food. He said, he said um, again, he said, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink nor of your body what you shall put on. It's, it's not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they do not sow, neither do they reap. Somebody say hallelujah. Nor no, gather into bands. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? So one of the things he's establishing here is that don't think that it's by your effort that you feed yourself. Right? Of course, we say here that um, it doesn't mean you should be lazy. But don't depend on your natural effort. It is not the hardest workers that are the richest people on earth. Praise God. You go to some places in some developed countries... They carry 50 pounds bag of cement on their backs all day. They start at 5 a.m. and they walk till it's dawn. And their body all covered in cement. And cement is dangerous to your skin. And they make less than the minimum wage of someone in this country. They're suffering. So it's not the one who walks the hardest. The Bible says that the race is not for the swift, 
neither the battle for the strong. Now, it's not saying to be weak and lazy, but that is not where the solution is. So he said, you have to change the way you think. Amen. He said, take no thought. Don't begin to think this way. All right, let's continue. He said, which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to your status? Give me some volume. I don't want to strain my voice. And why take thought of your raiment? He said, consider the lilies of the, of the feet, for they grow, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And I yet I say unto you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of them. So God is saying you need to dress nice. Right? He said, he said the lilies don't toil, they don't spin, yet they look nice. They wear the best. Somebody say hallelujah. He said, wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the feed, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? 31. Therefore, I take no thought, saying. So it is, tells us one of the ways we take thought. How do we take thought? By saying. Don't start saying. If you start saying it, you start thinking it. If you start thinking it, you start saying it. So your mouth and your mind are highly connected. You can change what you think by what you say. And you can change what you say by what you think. So it's a circle. You, if you want to break out of your thoughts, you can start by breaking out by your words. <clears throat> if you find yourself keep thinking certain ways, you can start changing the way you think by changing the way you speak. Start saying, I'm healed. Your mind is saying, no, you're not. You're so sick. You say, I'm healed. I'm healed. I believe I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm well. I'm strong. If you start saying it, you can take those thoughts by what you're saying. 31. Therefore, take no thought saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be cluttered? He said, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Who are Gentiles? Unbelievers. People who are not born again. Who don't really know God. Who are living according to their abilities. He said, these are the things that they seek after. The Gentiles are always thinking about what? What are they going to eat? What are they going to wear? What are they going to put on? Where are they going to live? Who are they going to be with? This is their thoughts. The Bible said the Gentiles always are thinking like this. My question is, if they examine your thoughts, what are you always thinking about? According to these scriptures, what part would you fall in, the Gentiles or the believer? Again, he said, for after all these things... They don't just think about some. They think about all these things. He said, for your heavenly father knoweth that you have need of them. Somebody say hallelujah. You know, some people are against teaching on prosperity. They say you don't need these things. They say you, you're, not, you're, not, you're not here to enjoy life. So uh, just manage with what you have. When you get to heaven, you have a good life. You don't, you don't, what do you need a, a Rolls Royce for? What do you need an airplane for? Why, why, do you need a, why do you need an expensive shoe? 
You can buy a $30 shoe, a $20 shoe. It will last you for two months. And give you cones or cones on your, on your toes. But the Bible says God knows that you have need of what things? All this. All these things. All these things. Does God know you have a need of a limo? Do you need a limo? I said, do you need a limo? Some people say, I don't think so. Uh, well, if you come to my house, we need a limo. Somebody say, hallelujah. There's no little car that can take everybody at once. No, we need a limo. <laughs> but God says you need this. He knows you need this thing. He knows you need a new house. Right? Why is it only people on the right saying right? Do people hear left? I said, God knows you have a need of a new house. Do you need a new house? God knows you have need of these things. God is not saying you don't need them. God knows that you need them. He said, for your heavenly father knoweth ye have need of all these things. But, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what will happen? And all these things shall be added unto you. Come on, let's read that verse together. I want to go. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what? All these things shall be added unto you. So if you want all the things that the Gentiles are seeking for, what do you do? You seek first, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what's going to happen? All the things that the Gentiles, all, all the things the Gentiles are seeking for will be what? Added. What does it mean to add? It will be given to you. This It will come to you. It will come to you. So here, God is giving us, Jesus is giving us, Jesus is God, the formula for having everything the Gentiles are seeking for. I mean, the formula is not a good word, but it's, it's something people can relate to it. it. The better way to say is the principle, the principle of how to have all your needs met. How to have everything that not the things you just desire. The things your neighbors are desiring will come to you. Amen. The things the word is looking for will come to you. He said this is how to get it. But if you examine the life of Christians, not many are operating in this level of increase. Not many are enjoying the things that unbelievers are looking for. Not many even have parts of these things. Many are struggling through life. Many are wondering why. And some say, well, maybe I don't work hard enough. So they go get self-help books written by unbelievers. And they try to imbibe the doctrines and the principles that the word is using to seek these things. The Bible is saying here that the unbelievers are seeking after these things. But it says you don't think like that. Don't think like that. Change the way you think. You have to begin to seek the kingdom of God first. So I said the title of my message is Putting God First. Now, if you ask an average person today, even an axe murderer on the street, 
Are you a Christian, Muslim, or pagan? Many of them will say, what? I'm a Christian, especially in this country. And if you ask them, is God number one in your life? What would they say? Of course, God is number one. God is number one. So, most people would declare that God is number one. They would say God is number one. God is first. God is first. But how many people really have God as number one in their lives? And that's one of the things I just think I want us to, by the Holy Ghost, examine this morning. Is God really number one? Have you put God as number one? Now, you may think God is number one, but does God see in your life that he is number one? You know, one of the things that people always try to do in life, and I hear it all the time now, is they want to live balanced. Balanced. Now, this sounds good. You want to balance your private life, your church life, your business life, your financial life. You have to live in a kind of balance. So, you are not overly a Christian and overly worldly. You have to be balanced. But if you look at scripture, scripture hardly talks about the balance of what they call balance. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Something else with my microphone. Okay, praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. You guys will just wait. Let me put it back on. You're not in a hurry, right? If you are watching online, take a piece of uh, coffee and cake and get back on, on, online with me. Amen. All right. It is sounding better now. Yeah, I could hear some tweeting before. Thank you. Somebody uh, did some sign language back there and I uh, was able to get it. So if you ask most people, who is number one in your life? They'll say, God is number one. God is number one. Hallelujah. They'll say, God is number one. But does God really see you as number one? Are you really put, have you put God as number one in your life? Amen. Amen. And that's one of the things I believe the Holy Ghost will have us examine. So if you talk about many people, they try to look at a balance. They want to put everything in the same scale. But if you look at scripture, God is more concerned about what is first, about order, than he is about balance. And, And I think we have to change this thinking. The way the scriptures are written... God is more concerned about priorities than he is about balance. The way to balance your life is to arrange them according to priorities. That's the right kind of balance. Everything does not have the same weight. Everything does not have the same, should not have the same attention. Neither should everything have the same kind of respect. Not everything should be on the same level in your life. In short, some things are supposed to be priorities and there are some things that ought to be secondary, you know, come toward or fourth. If you ask many people today, like I said, is God number one? They'll say yes. But if you really examine their life and you take a good microscope and you examine how they live, you discover that God is number four Number five, or maybe number 15. No, God is there somewhere. He's just not number one. Praise God. 
you discover for most people, they themselves are number one. The Bible says some people, their gods is their bellies. They have to think of themselves first before they think about what God wants. That's the reason why somebody says, I know God says this, but I just, I just cannot. I, I can't do it. Who is number one? They've made themselves number one. That means God's word is here. This is their thoughts. This is how they feel. This is what they want. But they have decided to do what they want ahead of what God says. God is not number one. It's possible to be in church three days a week, serve God, dance, rejoice, clap, shout, give an offering, and God is still number three. That's better than number 15. Praise God. Why? Because self is still number one, and then family is next. So you have to take care of your family. You cannot, you, you cannot, you cannot leave your family and, and serve God. He that does not take care of his family is worse than an unbeliever. There's a scripture for it. And some people think that when it comes to a choice between God and family, that family comes first. But Jesus said to them, anyone who will love father, mother, brother, sister, wife, or children more than me, he said, is not worthy to be my disciple. It's not worthy of the kingdom. So God is comparing how much you love other people as compared to him. Hallelujah. hallelujah. I say hallelujah. hallelujah. Now some people say, well, God is number one. I don't really love myself like that. But if you examine it very well, God is number two. Their spouse is number one. Now that looks good. Say, I love you with all of my heart, all of my soul. I can't live without you. You're talking to their spouse. You know, this may not look so serious. Let's go to Exodus chapter number 20. One of the things that God is seriously concerned about in our lives is that he's number one. Here in Exodus 20, God was giving them the commandments in the Old Testament. And like I said, in the Old Testament, if you read it very well, it begins to tell us about the truth in the new. You can understand the new by reading the old. The, the, the disciples didn't have the New Testament to read from. They had to preach the gospel from the Old Testament. The Old Testament has Christ concealed. The things that are written there, the Bible said they are written for our learning so that we can come to an understanding of Christ. And Jesus quoted from the Old Testament why he was teaching in the New. Somebody say hallelujah. And today as I'm sharing, I really want you to examine your life. Is God really number one? Many people think so, and yet he's not. Chapter number 20, verse 1, God spake unto this word, saying, I'm the Lord thy God, which has brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. 
Thou shall have no other gods before me. When he says before me, what does that mean? Ahead of me. You can have another god first. And that god could be yourself. He said, thou shall not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness. We talked about image last week. Of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for the Lord thy God is what? I, the, the Lord thy God am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the third and the fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto the thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Somebody say amen. So one of the first things God began to tell them in the Old Testament is that he is a jealous God. That word jealous is not the same that is used for humans. Actually, it's only referred to God if you look at it in the original Hebrew. Now, he's talking about God is a God that wants to be number one. And he will not take a second, third, or fourth place. In short, if you don't make him number one in your life, you will not be able to enjoy the benefits that he has. In short, when Jesus was teaching, he said, seek ye first. He was not just talking about seeking the kingdom. The operative word there is what? First, seek ye first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. He said, and all these things shall be added. One reason why we may not see many of these things being added is that Christians are seeking God but they are seeking him second, third, fourth, and fifth. He is not being established as the first. And we're going to have to examine our own personal lives to see, is God really number one? Are the decisions I make based on what God says or how I feel or what I want? Are the things I am pursuing in life based on what God has said? Is God really number one in my life? Is, is the kingdom of God my number one quest? Am I operating according to what everybody else is doing, how I feel? Or my first desire is to serve God? Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter number 11. We'll read a couple of scriptures. The best preacher is the word of God. The word of God is the one that shows us what God says. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. So the first commandment is to put God first. It's not just to serve God. It's to serve God first. So the principle of the first fruit is to establish God as number one in your life. As number one. The first, the first, the first. So if you go and you withdraw your income, your salary, your, 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 your stipends, your, your bonus, who should you be thinking of first? Everybody's not answering me. I said, who should be number one on your mind? What should you think first to spend your money for? The Lord. The Lord. The Lord should be number one. And that's why we said your, your, your job, should, the number one reason why you should have a job is so that you can give, not to meet your needs. 
If your needs are number one, why you have a job, then God is not number one. God is not number one. If the reason why you are struggling so hard is just because you need to have a new house, a new car. Oh man, I need to be better than my cousin. Then God is not number one. And we need to examine ourselves because everybody, everybody thinks God is number one. They think, oh man, God is number one. I go to church. I even give my tithe. God is number one. No, that doesn't mean. The Bible said God is looking to and fro the head for those whose hearts are perfect towards him. What is he looking for? Those who believe and who have set him as number one in their life. Somebody say hallelujah. He said, I'm a jealous God. I'm a jealous God. I'm a God who wants to be number one. And the reason why is because he loves us that much and he expects us to love him back in return. Deuteronomy chapter number 11. Let's start from verse 1. We'll read verse 1, 2, 3. We'll read from verse 7 to 28. The Bible says, Therefore, thou shalt love thy Lord, thy God, and keep his charge, and his statutes, and his judgment, and his commandments always. Is that Deuteronomy 11? Continue, yeah. And know ye this day, for I speak not unto your children, which have not known, and which have not seen the chastisement of the Lord your God and his greatness, his mighty hand and his stretched out arm and his miracles and his acts which he did in the midst of Egypt unto Pharaoh and the king of Egypt and unto all his land. Go to verse 7. Thank you. But your eyes have seen all these great acts of the Lord which he did. So he's talking to people who have seen God, who had experienced God's son. He said, therefore, shall ye keep all the commandments which I commanded this day, that ye may be strong and go in and possess the land which ye shall go to possess it. And ye may prolong your days in the earth which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give unto them and to do unto their seed in a land that floweth with milk and honey. For the land where thou goest to possess it is not as the land of Egypt, which from whence ye came out, where thou sowest thy seed, and watered it with thy foot as a garden of herbs. But the land where did thou goest to possess is the land of hills and valleys that drinketh water of the rain of heaven. A land which the Lord thy God careth for. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it from the beginning of the year even unto the end of the year. And it shall come to pass that if you shall hearken diligently unto my commandments which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul that I will give you the rain of your land in his due season and the first rain and the latter rain that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thy oil and I will send grass in the field for thy cattle that thou mayest eat and be full. Take heed to yourself that your heart be not deceived and yet turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And then the Lord's wrath will be kindled against you and shut up the heaven and there be no rain and that the land ye not have fruit and lest ye perish quickly from all the good land which the Lord giveth you. Therefore shall ye lay up my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets 
between your eyes. Somebody say hallelujah. I won't have enough time to explain that verse, that, that verse, but there's something God is saying there. The Bible says that you should, you should lay up the scriptures in your heart, that they will become as frontless before your eyes and as a sign upon your hand. You know, those things, it looks like they're just kind. Why would you have a sign upon your hand and upon your head? Now, if you remember, the Bible tells us in the last days that there's going to be an Antichrist. And we are getting very close. I believe the Antichrist is already born. And the Bible says one of the things that the Antichrist is going to do, that he's going to put a sign on people's hands and on their foreheads. And anyone who has that sign on his hand and on his forehead is bound to go to hell. There's no repentance that will bring the person out. So there's something about a sign upon your hand and upon your forehead that is a sign of a covenant with who you're working with. Again, I won't have time to go into details. It shows up again and again in the scriptures. The Bible says, And ye shall teach them on your children, speaking to them when thou sitteth in the house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou lowest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt write then upon thy doorposts of thy house and upon thy gates. Continue, that your days may be multiplied and the days of your children in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them as days of heaven upon the earth. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. So God is saying, if you will set him as number one and love God with your heart, he says your days are on earth will be multiplied. So further for you are not going to be, you can't die out of COVID-19. Or any other sickness. Somebody say hallelujah. You can't die by accident. If God is number one in your life, you cannot die by accident. Somebody say, but I know ministers who, who died by accident. They died by plane crash. I don't know about the minister, but I know the word of God. That God cannot lie. He said your days will be multiplied. He said, and it will be like days of heaven on the earth. You will be enjoying heavenly standard here on earth. Somebody say, hallelujah! That should make you rejoice. How rich are they in heaven? You know, some of the things that, that people have experienced, they have not even gotten close to that. The Bible said in the days of Solomon, he said silver were like stones. They didn't regard silver in Israel. It was so plenty, they were using it for catapults. And the Bible is saying that if you would, if you would serve God, he said your life on earth will be as days of heaven. So why is it that many are not enjoying this thing? Their lives are not like days of heaven. It's because sometimes God is number three. Sometimes God is number four. We are going to have to examine is God really number one? Somebody say hallelujah. Come to somebody ask him, he says, is God really number one? Ask the person, how do you know? Somebody say Hallelujah. I say hallelujah. hallelujah. I say hallelujah. hallelujah. You know, in the Old Testament, God began to teach them one of the ways to make him number one. When they came out of Egypt, uh, you find that in uh, Exodus 22, uh, 23, uh, I think 34, Pastor B read some of them. The Bible says that one of the first things he said to them as they were coming out, he said, you're going to have to give me 
the first of everything that you have. He said, even your firstborn sons belong to me. He said, you have to buy them back. Do you know what God says? Your child, you have to buy it back. Your first child is not your own. Once you, once you have a child, the first son belongs to God. If you don't have the money to buy it back, you have to put, give the child to the church and leave him there. You have to take him to church. He's not your own. Your own child. He said if you want the child to live in your house, you have to take a lamp and go and buy your child back because that child belongs to God. You know, people think that God is asking, oh, please, can you just give to me? They don't realize these are principles. If God is not number one in your life, then he's not the Lord of your life. And so these promises are not guaranteed. Everything that belongs to you, first of all, God must be number one. He told them, if you have animals and they give birth, the very first belongs to me. Let me ask you this question. If the man had uh, maybe a cow and, and the cow gave birth to only one cow and that was the only cow that could be given birth to. After that, he didn't have any other cows. Who owns it? You say, well, I only have one. How many? Should he cut it into 10 parts and give a tithe? What should he do? He should give the what? The whole one. Now, if he had only three cows, how many should he give to God? The first one. The first one. That's the, ten, that's the first fruit. The first fruit is the number one. Now, it doesn't matter how many he's going to have. The first one belongs to God. And sometimes that means everything. If at that time it was only one that came out, you're going to have to take it to God. So if you have only one child, you're going to have to give that child to God. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. The good thing he says, you can redeem the child with, with, with a lamb, with a sheep. The same thing also, he says, if you give donkeys, say God doesn't like stubborn donkeys. So you must redeem donkeys. God doesn't like stubborn folks. He said, if you don't have money to redeem the donkey, don't bring it to court. He said, break his neck. Wow. That means that you will kill the donkey because it's not your own. You can't have it. You can't have it. It was your own. But you can't. If it's the first one, you can't have it. You either bring it to God, buy it back, or you kill it. You don't eat it when you kill it. You leave it. Because it's not your own. And he was teaching them how to make God number one. Now, I wish we had time to go to these verses of scripture, but, but I think it would take so much. And go read it. Exodus 22, Exodus 23, Exodus 34. And God is saying, the reason why, one of the reasons why I'm telling you this is because I'm bringing you out of bondage. And for me to bring you out of bondage, I had to kill or I had to allow the sacrifice of all the firstborns of Egypt. You are my firstborn. So I gave another firstborn for you. And for you to be in this covenant with me, you have to give me your firstborn too. You know, in reading that, I'm like, wow, what a great redemption. 
Jesus, uh, when the children of Israel were coming out of Israel, firstborns had to die. Then I recognized that in the New Testament, that's the same thing that happened. That when we were getting born again, God had to give us his firstborn. And now he's saying that in the same covenant, you will have to give him first. Or else you cannot be in the same covenant with him. Praise the name of God. I said, praise the name of the Lord. So in the Old Testament, he was teaching them a principle of the new. He was teaching them the principle of the firstborn. God gave us his firstborn. God gave us his first and his best. And if you are entering into a covenant with him, you are going to have to bring the first and bring the best. Somebody say hallelujah. And that's one of the principles that God is teaching us. Well, for time, I'm just going to go ahead to the message of, of Abraham. Some of we already know. Let's look at Genesis chapter number 22. Hallelujah. I say hallelujah. Somebody asks Jesus. Maybe you should put that up first. Put up Matthew 22. Verse, from, let's look from verse uh, 28. Somebody came and asked Jesus. He said, what's the greatest commandment in the whole law? Jesus Christ said that the, the greatest and the first commandment is that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. He said the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbors as you love yourself. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Matthew 22. Yes, back up a little, back up a little to verse 28. Let's start from there. Uh, 29 or 30. Hallelujah. Okay, get to go to 37. And we back up from there. <laughs> Look at 30, 35. Thank you. The one of them, which was a lawyer, you know, lawyers are smart, right? And they try to catch you in your words. One of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love thy Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. And with uh, this is the what? The first and the great commandment. The first commandment. The first, the, the, the number one. It says that if you do this, it says, and the second is like it, thou shalt love the neighbor and the self. The next verse. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So God is saying here that everything that the Old Testament was teaching them is number one to do what? To love God with all of your heart. To make him number one. To love God means you make him number one with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Luke says, and with all of your strength. Let's look at the Luke part. Let's look at, open to Luke chapter number 10, verse 25. It's also in Mark. Okay, Mark was the one that's 28. 
uh, Mark 12, 12, 28. But let's look at Luke 10 from 25 to 29. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him and saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So this is another lawyer. He's not saying what is the greatest commandment. He said, what can I do that I may receive life in abundance? He said unto him, what's written in your law? How readest thou? Then the lawyer answered, and he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Continue. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. So the first commandment, the most important, is to love God. Is to put him number one. With all of your heart. I had a, a married man sent a letter, you know, a card to the to the wife. Said, "I love you with all of my kidney." Say, kidney? Why? Say, yes, because God said, "Love me with all of my heart." So I love God with all of my heart, my soul, my mind. So the worst is left for me to love you is my kidney and my liver. <laughs> now the essence is that you can't put anybody else first, not your spouse, not your children. I said, not your children. I said, not your children. You know, sometimes people believe God for children. When the children come, it becomes a reason why they can't serve God. Some people believe God for husbands. I've had people even in this church. They are believing God, praying, and we join faith with them. And when the husband comes, they are gone. You can't see them anymore. They're pursuing other things. And, and those things that were supposed to be a blessing, now becomes a cause. A marriage can be a cause if it drags you away from God. Children can become a cause. A new car can become a cause. If on Sunday morning you are polishing it instead of worshipping God that gave you the car. Or you are in the mechanic every day instead of worshipping God and coming for Bible study. Right? You have to love God first, beyond everything, beyond everything. And God keeps emphasizing that the number one, the first principle, the first instruction of the word is to put God as number one in your life. Let's see what God did in Genesis 22. Let's go back there. Genesis chapter number 22. The Bible calls Abraham the father of faith. So if God had asked Abraham before, or if we have asked Abraham, is God number one in your life? He probably would have said yes. And God told him, I'm going to give you a son. And he didn't wait on the Lord to find out exactly how. Himself and Sarah, they plotted a plan to help God to have a son. And they had a surrogate child. And God said, that's not my plan. And for many years, God didn't talk to them. They didn't hear the voice of God. And the Bible says in verse 1, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thy only son, which thou lovest, and get thee to the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men, with him and Isaac his son, and cleft the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went into the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, how many of you know the significance of the third day? Amen. How many days did Jesus stay in the grave? 
How many days was Abraham allowed to, to, to meditate on the fact that his son was a sacrifice? Three days. So he could have changed his mind any time. For three days, Abraham had on his own heart given his child to God. His child was dead to him for three days. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide here, ye here with the ass. And I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. One of the things I want you to notice is that even though God told Abraham to go sacrifice his son, Abraham was wise concerning his confession. He didn't say, well, we're just going to see what we can do. I may be coming back. I don't know if my son. He said, we are going to worship and we are coming back. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Let's continue. And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they went both of them together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, this one is more direct. Where is the lamb? Because the guy has seen the father do sacrifices many times. He takes a lamb, ties it, a lamb that is clean, no spot, no blemish, makes an altar, puts the lamp on top, lights the fire after slaughtering the lamb, and then the smoke goes to God. And he says, look, we are going to make a sacrifice. I can see the fire. I can see the wood. I can see the knife. But where is the lamb? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamp for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. See Abraham's confession. He said, God will provide himself a lamb. The Bible tells us in the new covenant that Abraham had already resolved that if God had to raise Isaac back from the dead, God was going to do it. Because God had said to him before that in Isaac was the promise going to be fulfilled. And now God is saying, bring the, the Isaac through which the promise was going to be fulfilled and give him as a sacrifice. He didn't know how it was going to happen, but he had to put God number one, not himself, not Isaac, and brought Isaac as an offering. How many of you think when Isaac was asking him, where is the lamb, and he knew what he was going to do, that it must have pricked him in his heart? Many would have broken down and began to cry. I don't know what to do. I don't know why God is doing this to me. I've been serving God. I left my father's house. And now he says that I'm going to have a child. He actually even sent my other son away. And now he says, bring this son. But Abraham had understood faith. And I've come to put God as number one. How many of you know that if God has asked Abraham for himself or his son, who do you think Abraham would have wanted to give as a sacrifice? Himself. Abraham was already over a hundred years old. And he knew that his legacy, his vision, the reason why he left his father's house was supposed to be dependent on his son. And now God is telling him to kill that son. He would have rather died than killing his son. What God was asking for was more important to Abraham than his life himself. But Abraham put God first before his own life. Before his own son, 
You can see the son wondering, am I going to be the sacrifice? But he didn't care what the son thought. He didn't care what he thought, how he felt. He did not even tell Sarah. The Bible said the very next morning, Sarah would have argued him out. He would have laid hands on his leg and said, just kill me first. Kill, kill me. Our only son, kill me. My, the son I had an old age. You can imagine they have been believing God for 26 years for this son. This was the son of the old age of his beloved wife. What, how could God ask for this son? And the Bible says, and they came to the place where God had told him. You know, God's word for us today, he said, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be exalted on top of the mountain. God refers to his house as a mountain. So he said, go to the house of God. Somebody say, hallelujah. And take your son that you love and bring him as a sacrifice. And he climbed the mountain and came to the place which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, the son. Now, Isaac wasn't be asking the question this time. He already knew what was going to happen, right? And he, he loved the father. It's like, father, why? But he understood. That to the father, God was number one. If God says, give me your son, there goes my son. If God says, give me your house, there goes my house. If God says, give me your car, there, there is nothing that Abraham would withhold. And there came to a place which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in the altar and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. And said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know. What does it mean, now I know? You mean he didn't know before? You mean Abraham, after he left his father, after he was worshipping God, living in tent, over 16 years believing for the son, declaring he's the father of many nations, and yet God, the angel of God, speaking on God's behalf, says, now I know. Now I know. Why? By reason of the sacrifice. What Abraham would not withhold by reason of Abraham disregarding his own needs, disregarding the needs of his wife, disregarding the need of, of his faith, what he had been believing God for many years, and was ready to sacrifice it before the Lord. God says, now I know. You know, we, we think God is number one until God asks us for something that is precious to us then we suddenly realize God is number three. We are number one because what we want, we, can't, we don't want to give it away. In short, we actually, many actually think 
that God is there to save them. Now, again, wow. You know, we preach grace in this church. We do not disregard the word of God's grace. In short, before we started hearing on the, uh, what you call grace revolution, we've been teaching on grace here. Grace is the way by which we are saved. God does it for us. And it's not by our ability. But the things he asks us to do, he gives us the ability to do it. But one of the things that people have misconstrued about grace, they have thought that because God has done it, there's no more responsibility for the believer. And that is not true. There is still a responsibility to love God and to serve him. There is an, a responsibility in the mountain of God to bring a sacrifice. In short, if you, if you read this account properly, you discover that in the mountain of God, there is an exchange. Somebody say, hallelujah. You bring your best and you receive God's best. In short, many times, God is not interested in the slaughter. What he's interested is your willingness to give him anything he asks you to give. It's the setting him as number one. And the Bible says in the very first verse of this chapter 22, he said, and God tested Abraham. The Bible says God is the one who tries the heart. Why does he test? Because he has given man the ability of will to determine, to choose, to determine who is number one. And sometimes he has to find out who you have said as number one. And that's what he was doing for for Abraham. He had blessed Abraham, giving him a son, made him very rich. The Bible says Abraham, God made Abraham very rich. So much that even the, the enemies were envious of him. And sometimes people may start out loving God, number one. And then when things start getting better, people start making them, you know, God start blessing them. They become rich. Many times they begin to set their attention on themselves. And instead of keeping God as number one, they begin to keep other things as number one. That's what happened to King Saul. The Bible said the guy was humble and God brought him from hiding among the luggages and made him king. But after a while, when he became king, the Bible says the, the nations began to you know, fall under his authority. All the generals began to honor him. He had command over the whole of Israel. He was the king that was beloved. He was a head above everybody. The Bible says he began to make monuments to himself. So much that when God said to him, go to the Amalekites and kill everyone. And, 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 and not, don't, not, don't allow anyone to escape. Not even the animals. He turned from God's word and began to listen to the generals. They said, well, let's leave Agag. Let's interrogate him some more. And bring the fat, fat animals so that we can give God a sacrifice. Now, who was he listening to? He had taken his mind away from God's word. And now have begun to honor himself and his generals more than he did God. Genesis 22:12. And he said, lay not, the angel said, lay not thy hand on the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou had not withheld thy son, thy only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the ticket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And if you read the New Testament in Hebrew, the Bible says Abraham had already crucified his son in his heart. 
So he had done it in his heart. God just stopped him from doing it physically. He had gone through the pain of the sacrifice. He has gone through the, the agony of his son being done. He was ready to let it go. As far as he was concerned, God raised the son back from the dead because the son was already dead. And the Bible said, God said to him, now I know because of this sacrifice that you fear me. And because of Abraham willing to give God the best, God gave him a seed to sow. Somebody say, hallelujah. Somebody say, I don't have a seed to sow. The reason you don't have a seed to sow is because you have not chosen to give God your best. If you make up your mind to give God a sacrificial seed, God will give you the seed to sow. You know, sometimes people just think that Christianity is a, a life of convenience. You know, we are in grace. We don't have to make any sacrifice. We don't have to do anything. God has done everything for us. We just eat and drink and rise up to play. And the Bible says that's what they did in the Old Testament. And they got destroyed. There is a place for sacrifice in the New Covenant. There is a place where you have to inconvenience yourself and do what God says. There is a place where you have to set God as number one. The first fruit is about making God number one in your life. Anything that you are giving to that takes more from you than it does from what you give to God, you have to examine it. Whether it has not become number one. God is a jealous God. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. In the mountain of the Lord it shall be seen. Abraham called it Jehovah Jireh. That word is interesting. Many people say uh, the Lord our provider, the Lord... Uh, the one that supplies. But if you look at the literal meaning of Jehovah Jireh, it actually means the Lord that sees. God sees the place that you have put him in. God sees your condition and God sees your heart. When the angel said, now I know, he understood that God saw him. And because he was seen of God as setting God first, God also made it a place of provision. So the mount of the Lord was a place of sacrifice, but also a place of provision. Somebody say hallelujah. And in the mount of the Lord, your miracles shall be seen. My message, however, this morning is that we need to set God as number one. Somebody say hallelujah. Not your needs, not your convenience. The first fruit is about putting God first. It's about worshiping God. It's about setting God apart. And nothing else is as important. And that's why before you give to yourself, before you start enjoying and paying your bills, the first thing you want to think about, it's bringing God first. Somebody asks me all the time, and when I talk about first fruit, what's the difference between the first fruit and the tithe? There's a lot of difference. I won't have enough time to, to deal with that. We could do that as we continue. The first fruit, the major emphasis is number one. 
The tithe is a type of first fruit. God emphasized the quantity that ought to be brought. But in the first fruit, which is the first offering that is mentioned in the scriptures, and the most important, God wants an offering that indicates that he's number one in your life. And it could be the whole thing. The first time you have it, you bring it to God. The first increase you have, it could be the whole thing because you are bringing, it doesn't have to be 10%. But it has to be the first one. And that's what the first fruit is. If you read the book of Nehemiah, Pastor B mentioned a little bit about it, uh, you, you discover also and, and, and Ezekiel that the first fruits were received by the priests. The, 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 the tithes were received by the Levites. Different, different kind of offerings. And so, in the New Testament, the Bible tells us that Christ is a type of first fruit. And, and, and the Bible tells us that, that the first fruit is, even the first is holy, the rest is holy. So, God is still about first fruits in the New Covenant. The Old Testament was just a type to teach us the importance of first fruits. So, how do you keep God first, number one? The first thing is to keep the word of God, number one, in your life. Somebody say hallelujah. How do we know the word of God is number one in your life? The Bible says that you should rejoice at the word. As someone who has found grace for. The Bible says you should, you, should, you should delight in the word of God more than your daily food. People think the word of God is number one in their life. But they don't even spend time to study. It's a drag to read a chapter. And yet they eat three Round meals, square is not enough. He couldn't enter a square pole. And they eat snacks in between. But to read a chapter a day is a struggle. And yet they say, God is, I use God number one. God, true to God, God is number one. They spend four hours watching movies. They can spend two hours studying the word of God. How is God number one? The Bible says God and his word are one. If God is number one in your life, the word of God has to become priority. You wake up in the morning, that one of the first things you want to do is to worship the Lord, to, to, to dance before the Lord, and to take his word and study it and meditate on it, and to do what the word of God says. You're going to have to seek the word of God more than your daily food. Too many ignorant, born-again, Holy Ghost-filled Christians. It's not a good combination. Praise God. They are bored and they have not read the whole Bible through. If you say the book of lamentation, they don't know where to find it. They are lamenting to find lamentation. You're going to have to become acquainted with the word. In short, the Bible tells us, in short, history tells us, not the Bible, that that a Jewish rabbi at 12 can recite the whole of the Torah off by heart. At 12 years old, he knows the whole of the Psalms and the law. If you mention any Psalm, he'll tell you where it is. At 12 years old. They were told and taught to set the word of God. That's number one. Today people can recite all the players of of the Warriors, what are these, those games, those teams they have? NBA, NBA teams. 
They're excited about LeBron James and Corey. What is that his name? Steph Curry. They know his history. They know his family. They know his children. But if you ask them, Apostle James, who is he? What happened to him? No clue. They think God is number one. The Bible says one of the things you see in this last days that people will be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. He didn't say they don't love God at all, but pleasures are number one. It's a drag to go to church. But it's an excitement to go to the movies. We're going to have to change that. The Bible says, I was glad when they said, let us go. He said, Dad, I like my, my youngest child. He said, are we going to church today or tomorrow? Can, can we dress up? He's excited. I know he's not really coming about the world. He wants to meet some friends. But at least he's, exci- he's excited about coming to church. <laughs> he's excited. Let's go. Can we go to church today? Oh, my pastor, we didn't go to church. Daddy, we didn't go to church today. Are we going to church? Every day he asks me. But some, as they grow older, uh, oh, is there prayer meeting? Oh, pastor, uh, dad, uh, 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 the number is changing from number one to number two to number 15. Say, do I have to go to church every day to prove God as number one? How else? <laughs> the Bible says in the New Testament, they, they went to church every day. The disciples went to church every day. God was number one. They were excited to go. It was a joy, a delight to fellowship. But people don't know that these things are indicators. And there's, a, there's, there's such a, a slowness, like, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just give God an offering. It doesn't matter. If your tithes and your offerings is not bigger than the things you spend for your pleasure, God is not number one. You're deceiving yourself. He's not number one. So one of the ways is number one to set God's word as number one. Be quick to study. Find out what God says. Ignorance is not an excuse. Spend time. Read the whole Bible. At nine, Mice Maro read the whole Bible in three months from Genesis to Revelation by himself. He wasn't made to do it. Read the whole thing. You can read the Bible through once every year in different translations. You should be able to quote the word of God verbatim, whole chapters. That's how you, you can tell the word of God is number one. And one reason why people are not living days of heaven on earth. They're ignorant of the word. They don't know what the Bible says. And they are going against God's word all the time. Ignorantly. And that doesn't make it right. Because they have not studied to show themselves approved. A workman that needs not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. They can't tell the difference between the impact of the old and the new. Some people say there are many deceivers today. That if you are deceived, it's your responsibility. Because you ought to know the truth. How can somebody know enough to deceive you? Where were you when he was studying and preparing his deception and you didn't know? You're watching it takes a tea. Now, you need to know so that when the deceiver comes, you cannot be deceived because you know the truth. 
you know the truth. You're studied. You're studied. The devil quotes scripture sometimes. For those who don't know, he get, they get deceived. Heaven help those who help themselves. Proverbs 32, verse 5. There's nothing like that. So the people try to help themselves. When you're supposed to depend on heaven. The next way you can tell that God is number one is by your giving. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. By your giving. The quality of your giving. The, the, the promptness of your giving. Throughout the scripture, the Bible says God so loved the word that he gave. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 16, that because he has given us himself, so also must we give our lives also for the brethren. So God is calling us to give a life of sacrifice. And one way you can tell who is number one is the quality of the sacrifice that you bring. You know, the Bible says Jesus was sitting in the house one day. A woman came that they thought was a sinner, and she brought an alabaster box, a whole year's wages. Her first fruit was one year's salary. Not the first week. Not the first month. And the Bible says she broke the alabaster box and poured it on his feet and began to wipe it with his head. Even the, dis- the disciples were saying, how come? This is expensive. Judas, one of the disciples, was saying, this is so expensive. Why was it not sold and given to the poor? The Bible says, and he said that because he was a thief. And he was already stealing. So people who sometimes look like they are already always philanthropic, you, want, you have to watch out the, 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 the purpose of it. And the Bible said Jesus called Simon the host and said, "Listen, he said, he said, he said, two people came and they were owing someone. He said, he said, and, and one was forgiven much and the other one forgiven little. Who do you think will love the master more? He said, probably the one who was forgiven much. He said, this lady, he said, because she has given much, even though her sins were many, they are forgiven. So your love and the way you give can determine." How much you receive from God. In short, the Bible tells us there is no receiving without giving. He said the measure by which you give will determine the measure by which you receive. So when you come to God with an offering, you are actually determining how much you love God. And that is what is going to determine how much you can receive from the Lord. And he that gives much will receive much. And people think God can be deceived. Like, like uh, this is my best. I'm giving a, a, a widow's mind. First of all, the person is not a widow. So why are you giving a widow's mind? And the widow's mind was what? A hundred percent. People think it means small. No, it means give everything you have. In short, if you read uh, Second Chronicles chapter number eight, the Bible tells us that the reason why the, the church, the Macedonian church, let's look at it. Second Corinthians chapter number eight, yes. Did I say Chronicles? Yeah. I guess I've been reading the Old Testament so much. I begin to round up with this. If you give yourself properly to God, giving God an offering would not be a big deal. It would not be a big struggle. It can be a great sacrifice. The reason why people don't give first fruits or tithes is because they have not given themselves to God. The Bible says that if you are not willing to give up everything for the kingdom, it says you are not worthy of the kingdom. You have to be ready to give up even your own life. Praise God. 
I said, praise the Lord. And so, one way you set God number one is to be ready to give God everything that you have. He's number one. He's number one. You know, many times when people say they are in love, even in the natural realms, some of them do strange things. They give up everything. Even though they know the lady is a gold digger. They don't care. They say, dig all the gold. As far as you follow, let me follow you in digging it. They know. They give the lady everything. Why? Because the lady is number one in their life right now. They want the lady more than everything. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is someone who found a great treasure in the field and went and sold everything to buy that treasure because that field became number one. And that's the way we give to God. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do not want... We, we do... Do you put it in a good news translation? Ha ha ha. Hallelujah. I say hallelujah. Is that the good news? Our friends, we want you to know what God's grace has accomplished in the churches of Macedonia. We'll read it up to verse 5. They have been severely tested by troubles. They went through. So these people were going through tough times. But their joy was so great that they were extremely generous in their giving, even though they, had ve- they were very poor. I can assure you that they gave as much as they could and even more than they could of their own free will. So the Bible said they gave beyond what they were able to give. How can you give beyond what you were able to give? Their heart was in it. They gave beyond what was naturally possible. They weren't thinking about themselves first. They weren't calculating, oh, if I give this now, how am I going to pay my car note, my mortgage, my HBO, which you should cut, praise God, <laughs> my two telephones, uh, my, my, my international uh, trips for vacation. The Bible said they gave beyond what they were able to give. They gave beyond what was reasonable. He said, and they begged us and pleaded for the privilege of having a part in helping God's people in Judea. Somebody said, hallelujah. So they they were not being forced. They were begging the apostles to receive this offering when they were giving beyond what was wise to the natural man. He said, it was more than we could have hoped for. First, they gave themselves to the Lord. And then by God's will, they gave to us as well. So for you to give God your first fruits, you have to give God yourself first. God has to be number one. And when you have given your life to God, everything that you have now belongs to God. So giving God first becomes a natural thing. And when the Bible says first fruit, it means before your own needs, before your own wants, before your own dreams, you set God as number one. And you give him the best. The first also represents the best. And the first offering we see in scripture is the offering of first fruit, Cain and Abel. The Bible says that Abel brought the first and the best. Cain just brought what came to his hand. He probably calculated what he needed. He said, just bring that one. Now, that looks good enough for, for first fruit Sunday. Let's just give God, I mean, give God that. God, 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 will, God will like this one. The Bible says that 
God did not accept it. Why? He said, woe is a man in Malachi who has a sheep at home and then brings God a defied animal, something that is not the best. He said there is a cause. And we have to recognize that if you're going to enjoy God's best, leave days of heaven and earth, you're going to have to give God your very best. Somebody say hallelujah. So number two on how to set God as number one is in your giving. You give because you love. You show the best expression of love is in giving. And your giving can tell how much you love. Bible says you can't serve two masters. Praise the Lord. A man has two friends. He gives one 100,000. He gives the other one 50,000 50, every year. Which one does he love more? Do you need a scientist to tell you? Do you need the word of knowledge? What do you, what, what do you, what do you, who can you tell he loves more? The one he gives more to. Praise God. Two people are coming to serve God. One gives 50%, the other one gives 10%. Who loves God more? I say, who loves God more? You don't need a word of knowledge. The Bible says, he that gives more, loves more. He that is forgiven more, we give more. So the quantity of your seed is an indication of your love. Is a proof of it. And that's why God said to Abraham, now I know. Abraham did not regard himself, did not regard his future, did not even regard his wife, did not regard his son. But he regarded God's word. That's number one. And brought an offering. You know, we're not trying to get money from people in the first fruits. That's not the purpose. Praise God. I said praise the Lord. You guys can smile better than that. Praise the Lord. We are trying to get people to receive from God. The Bible says you will have days of heaven on earth. He said, if you do this, if you seek the kingdom of God, he said, all these things that the Gentiles seek for shall be added. But many have not trusted God to set him as number one. And so they are seeking for all these things. One of the greatest things you can do in your life for your security is to honor God with his sacrificial seed. We're given an opportunity to do that. Today is our first fruit Sunday. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. We are setting the course for the rest of the year. We are bringing God the first and the best. And we are not thinking about our bills when we are doing it. Somebody say Hallelujah. Because many times on the mountain where you bring the offering is the same mountain where you receive the blessing that prospers you and sets you on top. And people think you are sacrificing, but really you are getting blessed. I'll give you a testimony, one, one more testimony, and I will take, we'll begin to take our offering. You know, one of the first times we, we flew private jets. Somebody said, hallelujah. Uh, we, 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 we sat in our bedroom and said, what can we sow? To this minister friend of ours. Praise God. A friend of ours. He has ministered to us. We love him. Gave us materials. So we decided to go sow a seed. And then we prepared our seed. Amen. A substantial amount. To us at that time. Big, big amount to us at that time. Praise God. And we went to visit. We asked, could we come and see him? He said, yes. Yeah. So, so we, we said, what, what do you want? We said, we just wanted to sow a seed. So why? He said, because you've been such a blessing to us. And, and, we, and we gave him a check. And as we were about to go, he said, uh, uh, 
Are you by any means traveling to um, this conference in California? We say, yeah, we're actually thinking of it, but we haven't made any plans. He said, would you like to fly with me in my private jet? Somebody say hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah. It was a great experience. It was not just the flight. The person who was hosting the conference is uh, Fred Price. He saw us to the airport. Somebody say hallelujah. We were at the, at the foot of the plane. We were shaking Fred Price. I was hosting the conference that would have been looking at him from far. <laughs> now he was our escort to the flight. And they don't say, uh, pull your shoe, pull your handbag, remove your sweater. They ask you, where do you want your bags? By your side? or And you just walk straight in. It's better to fly private jet. Somebody say hallelujah. It's better to fly private jet than Delta, Delta, than American Airlines. You pull all your shoes. You pull. When I was coming this last, and they said, they said, take your sweater. I said, what? You want me to be naked? <laughs> because I'm trying to fly. So okay, okay, you can, you can go with your sweater. Yeah, they said, pull your sweater. I put I pulled my coat. They said, can you take off your? I said, my sweater in the cold, cold. I'm not pulling my sweater. My private jet is coming. Someone say, hey. I was walking to it. And, 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 and God says, you have days of heaven. And how do you get it? See, by sweating and say, oh, let me get three jobs. Let me. It's by setting the kingdom of God as number one. Let me say this as I close. As I'm studying this, I'm realizing that God does not really want believers to work for other people. One of the definitions of slaves is to be employed by somebody else. Now, you can start that way because many people don't have the resources at that time and the wisdom to excel. But eventually, you're going to have to believe God for your own business or stream of income. You have to believe God. You know one of the things he said to children? He said, said, every child that is an Israelite must have a property. And they can't sell it. It must go from parent to offspring. So everyone ought to have a property. And let me tell you the truth. If you don't have a property, you need to get to (laughs) work. Praise the name of God. You can't be living hand to mouth. A property is one of the things that establish you on the land. You are beginning to own the land. You can't just be floating, floating from one rent to another rent. You need to buy land. That's why we bought the land. <laughs> Hallelujah! You need to have your own business so that you can control your time. Or else you are a glorified slave. They tell you what you when you go. They tell you when you can work. They tell you what, you know, how much. Let me tell you, if you are thinking of millions, there are not many jobs that they pay you millions. You're going to have to break out of the nine-to-five mentality and working for someone who is making all the money and giving you stipend. You have to be thinking of your own establishment. And you don't have to have a big name, have an office. You can have a, you can buy a house. 
I have properties. I don't visit them. They are making me money. You can have things. You don't have to go there. God can give you wisdom. You can partner with someone. He does all the work. But you get a good dividend. You can write a book. Write a script. And somebody, you can even write a song. You don't know how to sing it and give it to somebody. The guy will sing it. And you're making money every month. You can design something. Something, a toy, a, a simple toy that can make you millions. You don't have to be designing every year. One design. A seamstress the other day saw a vision in a dream. Drew it when she woke up. She, she had no scientific background. The, when they examined it, it was an ophthalmologist instrument. And they gave her four million just to produce it to start with. Just a vision. And you people use their vision. To teach. A goat was pursuing me. I fell in the pot of water. What's the pot? Pastor, you, stop, stop looking at television program that has goats in there. <laughs> Your vision and your dream is not supposed to be things that frighten you. It's supposed to give you instructions on how to succeed. Once you have given your tithes and your offerings, you have brought your first fruit, you are rejoicing. The Bible says the windows of heaven will be open. God will reveal to you what you need to know. So that you can make it in life. He will put you at the right place at the right time. Favor, favor will surround you as a sheep. People who do not know you will bring ideas to you and say, why don't we partner together? And you discover that the favor of God will elevate you. It's not by struggle. It's not by sweat. In short, the, 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 the impact of the course was that you will sweat and suffer to make it in life. The impact of the blessing is that you will reap where you did not even sow. That people will do the hard work and you just come there to enjoy it. And God is taking us from labor to favor. I say hallelujah. Which one do you like? Favor or labor? Labor or favor? Favor, favor, favor. One day of favor can do more than a year of labor. Just one favor. Somebody say, I like him. That is all. And then you are on top. Many people who are on top didn't get there because they are educated, they are are nice, they worked hard. Many times it was favor. Somebody saw them and said, put this person on top. I like him. Put him there. They said, but the other people are more qualified. Put him there. I know his grandmother. Praise God. And then you think that, oh, that guy is smarter. He's not smarter. And God is saying that you know him that is seated in the heaven, far above all principality. And when God says this place is yours, nobody can stop it. And this year is raising up to the top of this world. And one way to enter into it is to love God with your heart, set him as number one, And honor him with your first and your best. That gives you the opportunity to receive the first and the best. So it's a great opportunity as we bring our first fruit. Somebody say hallelujah. If you have already determined what it is by the spirit, yes, you can give. But if you have determined something that is less than what you ought to, you need to change your mind. Change your mind. Maybe you thought I was going to give God one hour. If God multiplies that hour a hundredfold, the result will be a hundred hours. That's not even enough for a year's wages. 
If you decide to give God one month and God multiplies it a hundredfold, that means in one year you will get what you would have gotten in a hundred months. You have increased your income. And you may be sacrificial when you are bringing it. But you have to put God as number one. You can't think of your needs. If, you, if your needs are number one, then God is not. You have to take, make a sacrifice and bring God the first fruit. At this point, I'd like you to bow your head and ask the Lord what he would like you to give. And because you love him, the Bible says you have to give yourself first. You have to give yourself first. You have to give yourself first. Bible says that if you're not ready to give your life, you're not ready for the kingdom. The Bible says in Revelation, it says that they love not their lives even unto death. You're going to have to give your fir- yourself first to the kingdom of God. Your husband, your wife is not number one. The children are not number one. God is. He's the reason why you're here. He's the reason why you have a job. He's the reason why you have a family. And he says, bring first, the first and the best. And I want to encourage you to give sacrificially. Some of you may just need to give your whole month, a whole week. Empty your account. Whatever the Holy Ghost tells you to do. But do it in faith and believe God. Just like Abraham, when it looks like you're making the greatest sacrifice. The Bible says after that, the angel said, now I know. And then he said, in blessing, I will bless you. In multiplying, I will multiply you. And your seed will possess the gates of the enemy. So it's not just a giving you are doing. You are, you are actually exchanging for, a, for a, a harvest that will change your life. Some of you won't recognize yourself at the end of the year because of the favor of God. So ask God what he wants you to give. Ask God what he wants you to give. And give a sacrificial offering. Give sacrificially. Father, we thank you, Lord. We love you. That's why we do this. We are not under any pressure. You said you love a cheerful giver. We're not giving because we want to buy. You already loved us and gave us your best. But we are giving because we love you. And we know by giving, we are able to receive. Our hands are open when we give, and so we can receive. And the measure by which we give determines how much we can receive. We love you with all our heart. Nothing is too big to give. No sacrifice is too much. If Abraham was able to give his only son, the son of promise, there's nothing too much. Like David, we rejoice that we can bring an offering. We thank you that who are we we that we can bring such an offering with, with joy. For the house of God. We say you are number one. And we prove it by our giving. We prove it by our giving. We give you more. Than we can give to anybody else. Thank you for a heart that is willing to give. And for faith. Release with our seed. We declare that no one in this house is poor. That this year we be the most powerful and effective turnaround financially that we have ever seen among our members and partners. And your power will be released to reveal your glory. We break people off from, 
from secular jobs to owning their own businesses, owning their own outfits, their own lands, their own properties, able to control their time and having other people under their own employees as their employees instead of working for someone else. We declare boldness and wisdom to step out into the great beyond, into the great harvest. Thank you, Father. Our seed changes our destiny because we release our faith with our seed. We can't be the same again. We don't bring it to man. We bring it to you because we love you with all our hearts, all our minds, all our strength. We say you are number one in our lives. Nothing even comes close. Nothing. And we do it by faith and bringing a sacrificial offering today according to your word. In Jesus' name. Begin to thank God for the seed that you have. Thank God. Just thank God. Begin to believe God for the harvest. Days of heaven on earth. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together. Begin to see great things happen, great things, doors open. Begin to see yourself as an owner of a business, owner of properties. Begin to see favor, the favor of God surrounding you as a sheet. We thank you, Heavenly Father. Your word doesn't fail. We put, give you praise in Jesus' name. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. I say hallelujah. Glory be to God. What kind of giver does God like? A cheerful giver. So let me hear some praise. Hallelujah. 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 Stand up on your feet. How did Abraham get rich? The Bible says that God spoke to Meshizedek and said, Hey, you're a dead man. And Meshizedek brought all of the good things that he had and gave to Abraham for free. Abraham, Abimelech, correct. No, Meshizedek was the high priest. Abimelech. And Abraham did not have to struggle for it. God instructed someone to give to him. Can God instruct someone to give to you today? To, to promote him to the CEO. Give him that business. Can somebody call you up and say, I have this business. I'm tired of running it. I want to give it to you. Yes. Yes. God is going to is opening those kind of favors this season. So we are going to rejoice and give God our first fruit with thanksgiving. If you are giving online, the information is up. We trust that you are blessed by the message. To listen and hear more, catch us at 1130 on Sunday mornings on YouTube or Facebook at Love Foundation Christian Center. If you have any additional questions or just want to learn more about the church, feel free to contact us at lovefoundcc at gmail.com or visit our website at lovefoundationusa.org. Thanks for listening.